It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. On tonight's California report, as COVID-19 cases continue to rise, businesses may begin requiring employees to be vaccinated. However, once vaccinated, many individuals have been having trouble with the state's digital COVID-19 vaccine record. We'll take a brief look at local headlines and weather before Paul Emery speaks to hydrogeologist Steve Baker in this week's Water News. We close tonight with a commentary on composting by Kevin Marini. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. As coronavirus cases continue to soar across Los Angeles County and the rest of the state, more employers are poised to require workers to be vaccinated against COVID-19. The city of Pasadena is about to become the first city in Southern California to demand that all of its municipal employees do so. Pasadena City Manager Stephen Murmel tells the California Report the city is exploring all of its options to implement the policy as soon as possible. Our problem is now We have employees coming back to the office, and sadly, people are getting sick or having to quarantine and close down offices. So uh, I really want people to get the message now. If we can't implement immediately, so be it. Uh, But by sharing this expectation with the workforce now, hopefully they'll take the right steps and go on and get vaccinated. San Francisco has announced a similar policy for its employees once the vaccines receive full approval from the FDA. And the University of California system announced recently that it will require vaccinations for students and staff regardless of whether any of the vaccines receive full FDA approval. About 60 percent of Pasadena's more than 2,000 employees have self-reported that they're fully vaccinated. Mermel says he hopes that this policy will encourage others to get their shots. Those that don't get vaccinated need to continue to wear their face masks, and they're going to need to submit to some regular testing. And in my experience, getting the shot was a lot more comfortable than the test. So I'm hopeful that it creates an incentive Mermel says the recent rise in new coronavirus cases in Pasadena is equivalent to what the city saw last year before the fall and winter surge. A couple of weeks ago, I got a message from a listener on Twitter. He had noticed a problem with his digital COVID-19 vaccine record that the state of California promised would allow all of us to leave our vaccine cards at home. The problem that Darian Afshar Gomez discovered was that his record didn't include the first of two doses he'd gotten. And it turns out he wasn't alone. When we asked the State Department of Public Health, we learned that millions of Californians have had similar issues. More on their response in a moment, but first, here's Darian. When the system first came out, I decided that I wanted to, you know, be ready and have my like QR code ready for me. So when I was, you know, at my work or out and about, I could access it quickly. And so when I went to the website and I filled out my information, it said that my second vaccine was the only shot that I got. I was like, wait a second, this isn't right. And so I gave it about a few weeks and decided to check again, and it was still not there. And this surprised you? Yeah, I I was really surprised. I, I figured that there was such fanfare leading up to the launch where you know, this was going to be a game changer. It was going to allow people to access their vaccination information quickly. And it turns out that, you know, it 
wasn't functional, partly functional. A lot of my friends said they had the same issue as me, which led me to believe that this was way more widespread than I initially thought. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought it to our attention, certainly. What did you learn as you went out and tried to troubleshoot this? Yeah, so as I troubleshooted with, you know, different emails, different phone numbers uh, that I could have used, I realized that it was literally just missing information on their end. And so I then tried to figure out how I correct the issue. And there didn't seem to be any real way. I called in. Um, they pointed me to my healthcare provider. My healthcare provider then pointed me back to the state of California. And so they were just kind of pointing fingers at each other, blaming each other. There was no real solution. So we reached out to the California State Department of Technology after you wrote to us. And what they told us was that you can use this virtual assistant tool now to correct the record. And they walk us through some of the steps involved. You went through those steps. And we can post these on social media for po people who are interested. What happened? So going through the virtual process, it asks you very basic information. First name, last name. It actually asks you, asks you to upload a photo ID and your vaccination card. But at the end of it, it says it's going to take two to three weeks for them to possibly update your record if they feel like it needs to be corrected, which is Great if you have a trip months down the road or, you know, you have a work event months down the road, but for people who need it to be corrected within days, it's just not going to work. And I think that the speed at which this needs to function needs to be way faster for people to buy in. I think that this is a really important system and that it should be completely supported rather than halfway supported as it seems to be. All right. Well, Darian, we're so glad that you brought this to our attention. We are in turn bringing it to the state's attention. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. And Darian is a business intelligence analyst with the San Jose Sharks hockey team. For help, use the chat function on myturn.ca.gov. Again, state agencies say a fix takes two to three weeks right now. And the California Department of Public Health told us that they have been working with providers to update more than six million patient records with the right contact information over the last month. The department also tells us the records depend on what providers report and that they are improving. If this has happened to you and you need help, more details are on my Twitter page. I am at Lily Jamali. Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of healthcare with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. The law firm Perkins Cooey, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at perkinscoie.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org.
And that is the California Report for this Wednesday, July 21st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. As I speak, the penultimate Nevada City summer night is underway. The annual street festival of art and music turns the downtown into a pedestrian-only thoroughfare. Tonight's live music lineup features the likes of World Beatniks, Star People Band, and The Rise. The food, music, and art reverie lasts until 9.30, following which Crazy Horse Saloon and Grill hosts a summer night's after-party with live musical guests, funk and blues band, The Gold Souls. Around 2 this afternoon, CAL FIRE's incident commander reported all three fires along eastbound I-80 in the Penryn and Newcastle areas had been contained. Traffic has slowed alongside the site. In addition, CAL FIRE reports forward progress on the Frenchtown fire in Yuba County has been stopped. The 90-acre fire is 75% contained. Tomorrow at 7 p.m., Briarpatch Food Co-op and the Wild and Scenic Film Festival host a virtual screening of the documentary film The Story of Plastic, followed by an interview with its director. A percentage of the proceeds will benefit the Circle's annual Yuba River cleanup. The screening is one of Briarpatch's plastic-free July activities. The Sacramento Bee reports plans for PG&E to move 10,000 miles of the utility's power lines underground. Today's announcement from top executives comes after a report indicating PG&E equipment may have caused or contributed to the Dixie Fire, although that has not been confirmed. Utility experts have previously stated that planting power lines underground is one of the most expensive measures that can be taken to improve wildfire safety. PG&E officials have declined to say how much the plan is expected to cost ratepayers or offer a timeline on how long it would take to complete the massive undertaking. Tomorrow, Mine Watch Nevada County hosts their Big Day of Grassroots Action. Self-described as a community effort to oppose the reopening of the Idaho-Maryland mine, the group will have petitions and educational outreach at multiple sites in Grass Valley and Nevada City. Times and locations are listed on their website. The Dixie Fire in Feather River Canyon exploded by more than 24,000 acres last night after winds picked up and pushed the blaze northeast, reports the San Francisco Chronicle. CAL FIRE's latest statistics have the fire at over 85,000 acres and 50% containment. Winds in the canyon remain volatile and fast-changing, making it difficult to combat the flames. Terrain has also been a major impediment, as the blaze has made its way into mountainous and hilly areas not easily accessible. And now for regional weather. The National Weather Service warns of hazardous weather conditions in the Truckee-Tahoe area due to poor air quality from wildfire smoke. Smoke predominantly from the Tamarack, Dixie, and Bootleg wildfires continues to bring hazy skies with poor air quality to the region. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 63. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 92. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 48. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 83. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, clear with a low around 58. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 94. Up next, words no one wants to hear. The possibility of a mega drought, Northern California's dangerously low water levels, and the repercussions for wildlife and us humans. 
KVMR's water guy, more formally known as hydrogeologist Steve Baker, tackles these topics with Paul Emery on this week's Water News. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Well, welcome back to KVMR, Steve. Great being here. Steve, we're going to talk mostly about the drought, at least for now. Where are we uh, in this particular drought at this time? Paul, it's not getting any better. 85% of California is experiencing extreme drought conditions. Okay, that's right now. And uh, that I, I obtained that information from the drought monitor, which is comes out uh, the July 15th one. So this is how we're looking at it now. It's very extreme. Water levels in Orville. Shasta Lake and Lake Mendocino, they're dangerously low right now. Water levels in parts of the Central Valley and along the Russian River, the wells, also we're finding that some many of them are drying out. So it's becoming much more serious. Local water officials have mandated in some of those regions water restrictions up to 40%. That's quite a jump. Right now, for us, we have voluntary restrictions, okay, if you, uh, you know, if you want to pursue that, you can. Uh, Stanford University's, uh, let's see, Noah Diffenbaugh, okay, he says that people really should adhere to the 15% volunteer, voluntary restriction as if it was mandatory. And you know what? I think that makes a lot of sense. Just consider it practice. You know, let, let's try to reduce our water, our water use a little bit. If the rains don't come this coming winter, then we, we're going to be looking at mandatory water reductions next year. Well, what are the hopes that we might have a wet winter next year? Well, it's unfortunate. I feel like the bear of bad news today, but it's unfortunately they're they're not too excited about next year being a good water year. According to Daniel Swain, UCLA climate scientist, he said the outlook for a wet winter is likely still less than 50-50. So it's uh, not stacked for us. It's stacked against us. He went on to say that a wet fall season would really be contrary to the trends that we've been seeing. And uh, California is, is having shorter rainy seasons. And when the rain does come, it's concentrated in the winter. That's just what we're seeing. And that's very much how the uh, predictions have panned out, uh, the model predictions for climate changes in, in a general sense. Some scientists consider California's current dry period right now, that this is the West's mega drought that we're just stepping into. So, you know, just different, different way of living now. We're, we're going to be, we're stepping into adaptation. Well, let's talk about uh, another aspect of it. Uh, mm -hmm. What's happening with our waterfowl and salmon in this situation? Uh, waterfowl like ducks and geese, right? Uh, not only is there less water for ducks and geese, but the ag fields, the agricultural fields that these migrating birds depend on for food are significantly smaller. And so, uh, and that's, that's as a result of farmers planting 20% less of, of, of their crops this year. You don't have enough water. They have to decide what not to, where not to grow, what crops not to, to grow. So we're looking at 100,000 acres below the normal harvest amount. So that, that's significant. This is hard for California's riparian areas because the rice fields, which I think many of us have seen on Highway 5 when we're down in the valley, uh, trucking around to Marysville or Sacramento, uh, 
there's usually 230 different species of wildlife down there, seven to 10 million ducks and geese. They like to spend their time down there en route. They're traveling from one place to another. And so that is not as available to them, making it even more difficult for these, these, uh, this life. Okay, Steve, as if we haven't had enough bad news so far, let's talk about <laughs> wildfires. Uh, are there any changes in wildfires in the potential uh, that are being noticed at this time? Well, you know, as everybody probably got a bit excited about, we just went through a period of potentially dry lightning events, right, about five days ago to a week ago. And, of course, that's a way that fires can start. And we were fortunate enough that that didn't really, that was not significant for us, certainly here. Our region, you know, continues to dry out, and that's making our landscapes pretty vulnerable to wildfire. Things are parched out there. So I'm, I'm uh, throwing out there to everybody to please be careful. Be careful that you don't accidentally start something. And if you see someone else that maybe is being a bit on the careless side, step in and, and see if you can, you know, support correcting that so that doesn't happen. We don't need to start fires at this time of year. And also have a go plan. If you don't, there's an easy way to put one together. You can download one off the operationunite.co website. It's a piece of cake. It's a 10 megabyte download PDF file. You make it your own. You'll see when you start reading it. It's very easy to do. And it's all about getting out safe. It's about you. So I'm hoping people will do that. I I really, I I can't stress enough that everyone really needs to have a plan. Think about it now. Prepare for the evacuations, monitor conditions when things are getting a bit rough around here, and then actually doing the evacuating. That's what the go plan is all about. Steve, why don't you give uh, people that email instructions again to how to get that? Okay, very easy. Get on the internet. Go to www.operationunite.co. There's a banner at the top of the homepage. It says, hey, you want to download uh, a free uh, go, go plan? Have at it. Just go to the Disaster Preparedness tab. You'll see it there, the big picture of the, of the title page, and download it. Thanks, Steve. You're welcome. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. Email him with your questions at stevebaker at operationunite.co. We close tonight's newscast with commentary by director of the Master Gardeners Program in Nevada and Placer Counties, Kevin Marini. Listen up as the top-tier worm wrangler provides the kind of insight only a master composter could. Today I'm here to talk to you about composting. For the last 25 years of my life, I've been teaching composting up and down the state, and I have a confession to make. I have OCD, obsessive composting disorder. And so I love composting, and I'm hoping today that I can pass that love to you so that you start composting if you haven't yet. We have um, a new mandate that will be taking effect January 1st, 2022, called SB 1383, that basically mandates that we divert 75% of organic materials away from the landfill by 2025. And that's a tall task, and we need everybody on board to achieve that. Composting is important for many reasons. Um, Obviously, we can extend the life of our landfill if we divert organic materials away. 
and we can reduce the amount of pollution that's created when you bury organic materials in a landfill. And it's a win-win because you then get the product of that composting, which is the best soil amendment for your yard and landscape. So not only is this an environmental win, it's a personal win as well. So take advantage of composting and help us take specifically food waste out of the waste stream. We've done a decent job at getting our yard waste out of the waste stream, or at least diverting it to composting you know, facilities. Um, now we are faced with the task of food waste. And so here's some suggestions for you to deal with that food waste. Number one, if you have food that is still good, that you don't want, donate it instead of throwing it away. That way it goes to use and not into the landfill. Next, if you have animals, farm animals like chickens and goats and things like that, you know, food scraps can be fed to them. Definitely plant-based food scraps, of course. Um, but that can be a great way to um, get rid of some of those food scraps instead of putting them into the garbage. I'm going to talk about two ways to compost those food scraps. One is in a backyard pile where you're using your yard waste as well. And if you incorporate food waste into a backyard compost pile, you have to be really careful about um, bringing critters into your yard. So that's probably the number one consideration. However, it can be done and it can be done really efficiently. Remember when you're composting, each material is either a green or a brown based on its moisture content and nitrogen content. And so you want to always have a balance of greens and browns in your backyard compost pile. And those food scraps are a green. So every time you add a green, you're going to want to add a brown to balance out that pile so your pile doesn't become a yuck fest and maggot infested food scrap pile. You need those dried brown materials like dried leaves and pine needles and oak leaves and newspaper and cardboard to balance out your compost pile. You cannot just throw food scraps from your, from your bucket underneath your sink into a pile and hope that it decomposes on its own. Finally, worm composting can be the best way to deal with food scraps. There are many different types of systems out there. I have moved towards a worm vermicomposting bag system that is called a flow-through system that allows you to put worms in this large bag that's in on a stand and you put your food scraps on the top and over time as the worms eat those food scraps and create vermicompost you unzip the bottom and it falls out the bottom so it's so easy to do. In general I like to give people the picture in their heads of instead of putting food scraps in your garbage receptacle, put them in your worm bin receptacle. I know that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but that's what we're talking about here. Instead of in this receptacle, put it over here in this receptacle. That's either your compost bin or your worm bin. That's our newscast for tonight, Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. We get support from Three Forks Bakery and Brewing Company, Nevada City, a craft brewery, artisan bakery, farm-to-table restaurant, utilizing local, seasonal produce for organic soups, sandwiches, salads, and wood-fired pizzas. Open 8 to 8, Wednesday through Monday, threeforksnc.com, and... 
Pioneer Solar, locally owned in Nevada City with over 20 years of experience, offering residential and commercial consulting and installation. Reminding listeners, solar power is renewable energy, a personal asset, and an investment. Pioneer.solar. Coming up at 6.30 is The Sages Among Us. Tonight's guest is military and healthcare chaplain, author, and columnist, Norris Burks. As chaplain, Burks served with both active duty Air Force and the Air National Guard in posts as diverse as Turkey, Iraq, and Panama until his retirement in 2014. Then at 7, we bring you Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.